0: Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Guru Show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at
1: 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. Afternoon. Your goddamn time about it hey, close that door all right what's in there Is these charts flight plans set it down all right turn around stay there Here. Now get in there. All right, get this thing up. Where, where to? You get us up. I'll tell you where to when we're up. You wanna put us in takeoff position? Starting three.
0: All right, I'll
1: take it. That's right, Lieutenant. We were lucky enough to have one of your men here. He's on board now, and Inspector Callahan. Callahan? Excuse me, Captain. I know this may sound silly, but can you fly?
0: Nope. Never had a lesson. down Concord Delegans, and you're listening
1: to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computer in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And don't forget to visit Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the historical archive page, where you can listen to all 240-some-odd shows. Anyway, yeah, we just uh, came off... Uh, Scottsdale Collector Car Week. My, my, my. Tell you what. I hit uh, six auctions while I was at there. Five. I went to uh, Worldwide. Did that on Wednesday. Then I went to uh, Russo on Thursday. Then I went to Barrett also on Thursday. And I went to Bonhams on Thursday. Then on Friday I went to Goodings. Then I went back to Russo. Then I went back to Barrett. And then on Saturday I went to uh, Barrett. And then I went to Russo. Because a friend of mine... Mike Silverman from Vintage Motorsport Magazine was auctioning off his Jaguar. Jaguar, and uh, so pretty amazing stuff. I gotta tell you that if I had to report on the status of the market, I'm gonna say it's pretty good, at least out west it was. And uh, so, but having said that, you know, all the cars in primetime, you know always tend to do really, really good because they always have really, really good cars. That's what you, you, the viewer, see on TV, and are there good deals there? Well, are there good deals if you were the seller, and you had primetime slots, and you had really, really, really good cars? If you were a prospective buyer, and you had, let's say, not so favorable numbers, and let's say there might not have been a big crowd. Now, when I say that, the reason I say that is because auctions are like any business. You know, they start off kind of slow, because they're early in the morning. You do not know what numbers you're going to get, okay? Because it's kind of like uh, first-come, 1st first serve in the, in the world of consignments. Unless you got a specialty car, and then they're going to throw those cars in a uh, really, really, really good location. Because that is what they call their kind of uh, premium cars. You know, their, uh, their feature cars, so to speak. And... Um, but I will tell you that all the auctions had some pretty cool cars. If you had a very very early number and you had a cool car, you probably got decent num- money for the car. If you had a so-so car, you got so-so money. In other words, the market kind of dictates buyers dictate the market. You know, and again, if you if you're there at the, if you got primetime slots, you know, to sell your car, it's all about numbers. And it doesn't matter whether it's an a- antique or classic car auction, it also works the same when you're over here in Tampa or over to St. Pete auto auction, and you're a Mannheim If you're early, early, and you got a run number, and it's, let's say, there's, they're running 125 cars, and you run numbers in the first 25 or 30 cars, sadly, uh, you'll probably be running your car through a lane, and there's not going to be a lot of people there. Usually, midway, like, let's say there's 125 cars, so if you're like 60 to 80, 60 to 90, that's when everybody's standing around, and they're all psyched and hyped up and everything like that, and that's probably when... Uh, they will bring a lot of money because everybody's there trying to bid, okay? And then at the end of the run lane, the run list, so to speak, then the crowd kind of changes and they kind of dissipate and they go to the next lane. So in other words, let's say, for example, in an auction like Mannheim, there's four lanes, five lanes, ten lanes. Orlando's got something like 26 lanes. So you can't beat all the lanes at one time. Now, nowadays, with the due to the marvel of this little device I have in my hand, which is called a phone, um, I can actually go on my app, and I can be seeing what's going on in another lane or perhaps even another auction. This is how that works in the classic car world. And I can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to program my little thingy here, my app, and I'm going to say when such and such run number comes up, boom, ping me, So you know, at least four or five cars in advance, and then I'm going to bid. Now, I've already been to the auction. I've already been to that lane. I've already been out in the field. I've already looked at that car. I've already inspected that car, so I kind of know what I'm buying. And this is where I'm going with this. There are really, really, really good deals for buyers if you happen to be at the right place in the right time at the auction. Because generally when somebody brings a car to an auction, they're there to sell it, okay? Most auctions are reserve. Many are, have the option of, uh, or I should say most auctions are no reserve or reserve regardless, but they some of them have the option of going either way. My personal recommendation is don't buy into the, oh yeah, it's uh, take the reserve off and the numbers will go up. No, 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 no. I don't trust that. Um, I'm got a customer right now that we're talking about doing a kind of a very expensive car, and the auction companies—they're in the business to sell cars because they get money on the buyer side and the and the seller side. In fact, what was interesting is most of the premiums now have gone from—I mean—they were like around eight percent, then they went to ten percent. Now many of the auction houses are doing twelve percent. Or they're doing 12% on the first 250,000. Anything over 250,000 is 10%. But that's a buyer as well as the seller premium. So do the math on that. You know, $100,000 car. somebody's getting 12 grand right off the bat. somebody's paying 12 grand, 10 grand right off the bat. Either or, you know. Um, so. You got to take that in consideration. Then you got to take in consideration transporting the car there. Now, if you got a thirty, forty thousand dollar car, and you're paying these premiums, and you got to pay to get the car there, and transport the car there, and take care of the car there, store the car there, you got to play room and board, your airfare, getting yourself out there, you know, and getting, uh, you know, getting in the whole big uh, spirit of everything. It's not a cheap, uh, cheap enterprise. The best thing to do is just walk out there with your fat, fat, really fat checkbook. And uh, find something that you want to buy because here's the deal. There's just so, there were a lot of good deals there, and the deals are generally the first couple of days, early in the morning, late, 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 towards the end of the auction, uh, and on Sunday. And some auctions actually do reruns. When I was at Russo, there were some pretty good deals there. There was a car there, and actually, if you follow us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radium Cars or Gulfstream Motorsports, because I post the events. The events I generally post on Nostalgic Radium Cars. Actual cars, some of the cool stuff, you know, individual stuff. I usually post on Gulfstream Motorsports because I got to keep that kind of active as well. And we won't mention Boneyard Bob, the Angry Car Guy, but you can go check out Boneyard Bob, the Angry Car Guy, too, every once in a while. But for the main, for the purposes of this radio show this evening, we're going to talk about nostalgic video and cars at Gulfstream Motorsports. But there was a car there that I thought was a really, really cool deal. That some guy had a nineteen fifty nine Austin Healey Bug Eye Sprite, totally race prepared with prior race. History. That car bid only to thirteen. There was a thirty thousand dollar reserve on it, but the car had late numbers. There was wasn't really a lot of people there. This car ran like at nine. The auction's over ten. The car ran like at nine thirty. And this is my point. You don't have control over that. So the best thing to do is you know you get a market, 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 and try to get your own buyers there. Sometimes that always helps. And if you're selling a car, you got to stay by them. So where I'm going with this as well is uh, we have, uh, in Scottsdale Collector Car Week, the Haggerty Bunch do a symposium every Thursday morning. And one of the questions that I raised, because this was my own personal experience, was, uh, you know, we're talking about descriptions. And there was a pretty cool group of people there. In fact, we have one of the gentlemen coming on our show a little bit later this evening. He is an uh, accredited appraiser, automobile appraiser, does diminished values. He's out of the uh, D.C. area. He's also responsible for the Haggerty uh, Valuation Guide and uh so we'll have him on in a little bit but wayne carini was up there dave was up there colin colmer uh, uh, was up there and another gentleman from new york who's also a dealer he was up there so they were all kind of like putting their own little spin on it which was really good but one of the questions i asked was you know this how how, how much faith and validity do you put into the descriptions now i know from my own personal experiences when people consign cars i had to read the descriptions many times the descriptions were wrong and I would actually correct them. I would actually call the consignor and say, hey, where'd you come up with this information? Well, that's what was given to me. Well, you know, that just goes to show you that these guys are most of the time, they're just dealers, speculators, uh, investors, whatever, but they're really clueless because they're not really car guys. You have to know that. So if you're going to be buying a car, you need to do a, your own due diligence and physically inspect the vehicle. You have to do that. That's absolutely imperative. Or if you're not going to be there, have somebody that you know that's reputable, like me, for example, do a physical inspection on the car. Make sure the car is as it is represented. Okay. Now, granted, all the auction companies have a disclaimer and it says, "Oh yeah, you know, we don't uh, warrant uh, anything other than, than uh, you know what the seller provides us. You know, with the information." They're always looking for a way out, but realistically, they're all collectively responsible because in my case, when I worked for the auction company, I did do my due diligence. I did take the effort to contact the owner of the vehicle and my boss, and I said, "Look, we got to get some sort of a meeting in a mindset because this car is clearly, clearly misrepresented." And, uh, and if the car goes on the block, there is going to be some liability and there is going to be some exposure. And I don't care who you are, what you are. I will argue that tooth and nail, okay? any rate, overall, Scottsdale was an amazing event. Goodings had some really cool cars. Bonhams had, in my opinion, by Bonhams standards, an amazing selection of cars. Barrett, without a doubt, you've got to go to Barrett-Jackson. Now, I'm friends with Drew at Russo, and we had Drew on our show last week. And uh, I know the guys at Bonham, I know the guy at Gooding. And I know the guys at, uh, let's see what else was there. Oh, Worldwide. Worldwide had some amazing cars. They had not one, not two, but three mid-thirties Auburn Speedsters, Boat Tail Speedsters, beautiful cars. They had a 1925, uh, 20, 32 are there What auburn speedster which is really cool because you can see the difference in the evolution of the car between 30 to 34 35 the cars just really started getting more streamlined and more aerodynamic just amazing stuff and i've, I've really got this fascination with these turn of the century and pre-war cars brass era cars because there's detail in these cars that you can see now granted i'm passionate about porsches i'm passionate about shelby's and i love my '50s, '60s sports cars and some of the early muscles 70s muscle cars Beyond that, nah, it's just another car. When you get into the 80s, 90s, now again, we're going through a generational shift, so I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you know, those cars, to me, uh, are cool. In order for us oldies, old guys, to uh, kind of keep the interest going, we need to get the young people more exposed to the older vintage cars. Now, I'm very fortunate because my son has grown up around this, so he takes an interest in these cars. He's not consumed with it because he has other things on his mind as well and his, his uh, college degree and stuff like that, but he does like old cars, and he does like driving a stick shift. Kids, drive a stick shift, a handshaker, three pedals. I mean, I remember we were at one of the auctions and uh, they said, Robert, we need you to move this Lamborghini and I may have told a story before on the air. And I go, okay, which one? He says, well, that uh, Gallardo over there. And I go, the Gallardo? And he goes, yeah. I Or Gallardo, whatever you call it. Anyway, still spaghetti grinder to me. And uh, Audi powered. Oops, did I say that? Nope, I'm sorry. Anyway, and so I get in the car. Well, first, I got in with no problem. But then I sat there for a minute because I couldn't figure out how to start it. There was only three buttons in the column. I mean, you know, it's pretty sterile looking inside. I mean, almost as bad as a Tesla, which is about as sterile as you can get. And so they're all standing outside and they're looking at me and emotioning and, you know, flipping me the... The, the international sign language and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do. Matter of fact, I was so uh, bewildered, I couldn't even get out of the car. I didn't even know where the switch was, you know. So then they, I found the button and then opened the door, and they said, what's well, that button in the middle there. And I go, oh, okay. So uh, you, there's a start button there somewhere, and then you hit D for drive, or in my case, dummy. I moved it, and uh, it kind of, you know, it was kind of weird. And then I, there was the other three buttons. One had R on it, which I guess was reverse, or retard in my case, and uh, so I backed that thing up and I put it in the hole. And I said, you know what? This is just not me. You know, I mean, even when I see the new Porsches and I like them, you know, with the PDK transmission, all the push-button stuff, and all this weird stuff, the Mercedes-Benzes, the BMWs, all that kind of goodies, I just, uh, I just can't get into it. It's just too, too technical, too complicated for me. And, and it just it, to me, it's just not driving. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a mode of transportation. How about that? That works good. But anyway, when you go to Barrett-Jackson, you've got everything there. You get that huge, huge, huge tent, all kinds of cars, amazing quality cars, the stage, the hype, the excitement. Barrett-Jackson truly is, and I put this on our Facebook page, the greatest automobile show on earth. And on that note, I think we're going to fire up the stereo because uh, since we just got back from Arizona, I think we're going to play a little Paul Revere and the Raiders. How about Arizona? You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Tell you, friends, tune in. There's still plenty of time. We're here for the next 40 minutes. Take care, guys. Enjoy a little. Paul Revere, the Raiders.
0: One California day. She says she believes in Robin Hood and brotherhood and colors of green and gray. And all you can do is laugh.
1: or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend Corey at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me your show host, Robert. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, let's talk a little bit more about Scottsdale. Okay, so the, the cool thing about Scottsdale is there's just all kinds of stuff going on, and it truly is Scottsdale Collector Car Week. It's kind of like Amelia Island. Amelia Island, we call that Amelia Island Collector Car Week. Started out for a couple of days. Now the thing's almost a week-long event. Well, Scottsdale is like that, too. In fact, a few years back, they used to have on Sunday, they had a kickoff. Event And it was called the Arizona Concourse, and that was pretty cool. It was actually take, uh, held at the uh, Biltmore, and uh, I really, truly enjoyed that because it was just like in the courtyard there, kind of like the the um, the, the inner um, grounds of the Biltmore Hotel, which was actually designed and built by Lloyd Wright, or not built, but designed by him. And uh, it was like a very intimate. It was only like 60, 70 cars, but the way they had the cars... Um, Uh, lined up around the property was kind of neat because it was kind of like, almost like a... It was almost like they were landscaped and uh, pretty cool. And uh, so that was the the, the main event. And then, of course, they had... uh, um, There was one other auction, which I think they do it now a week before, but it used to be the week of, and it's called Silver's Auction, and that's out there by the uh, Indian Reservation. But that's like an hour uh, east of uh, Phoenix, out towards... out way out past Fountain Hills. And... um, So at any rate, all right, so let's see. My rundown is when I get off the airplane, the first thing I do is I hit a couple places that I know have car parts. If you go to my Facebook page, you'll see me standing there at the airport as I'm arriving in Tampa. And I've got a steering wheel kind of hanging on the side of my camera case. Yeah, I got a thing for wood wheels so but i always hit a few places there and if they got an extra part or two like you know you you never know they might have a velocity stack might have a valve cover might have some gauges might have some fog lights i mean you know kind of accessory stuff which is about all i can bring back on an airplane short of motors and cars and and all that kind of stuff at any rate so uh i rounded up some stuff and then i obviously went to the auction went to worldwide first then i went to the the arizona jetport party and that was pretty cool. And we had uh, um, Scott on from uh, the AZ Jet Center party last week. And it was pretty cool. Food was good. Uh, the, the ambiance was good. I was run, talking to uh, a number of people I know, including Pete Doraguzzi from Heacock uh, from Classic Insurance in Lakeland. And there was a couple other people there that had a really cool Lamborghini Espada on, the, uh, on display there, not to mention the Jets, not to mention the vintage Learjet that was there as well as the G's, the Gulfstreams. Get it? Ha-ha, Gulfstream. Anyway, so that was pretty cool. And then the next day, obviously, like I said, I went to uh, um, to uh, Bear Jackson. I went to Russo. The other thing that they do on Saturday, Saturday they had this huge car show. It's called... Um, Uh, the pavilion, and there's thousands of cars there. So I was wandering around there, and there was just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of really cool rust-free cars there. In fact, there was probably better deals there than they were at the auctions. But one of the other things I did Friday morning, or actually Saturday morning, is I went to this uh, cars and coffee thing for 356, the, the, the Arizona... Outlaw 356 Club, okay, so it was a bunch of 356s, a couple 9 and stuff, and it was held at a place in Old Scottsdale, and it was called 4 Till 4. Now think about that, 4 Till 4. I know I had to think myself. 356. What's 4 Till 4? 356. Ha ha. Okay. Okay. Anyway, after that, while we were all gathering and chatting and and doing this stuff, there was another event that was taking place up at this new place. Or not new place, but it's a car storage place, and it's called The Stables. Well, guess who was there? If you guys follow Bring a Trailer, Randy Nunnenberg was there. He's the founder of Bring a Trailer, which is a really cool website, you know, where they got cool cars, and actually they have an auction on there. So you get some really neat stuff on there. And it could be anything from, uh, you know, a $500 project car to, you know, a $3 million Ferrari and then some. And uh, so Randy was there. I talked to Randy for a little bit. I hung around with Chris with, at the stable, and I'm going to invite Chris on the show because he's a pretty interesting guy. Randy, obviously, is an interesting guy. So, But it was a, you know, Bring a Trailer has a huge following. Now, I have some stickers. I'm not going to do it this week, but next week, when we got a little bit more time, I'm going to do a quiz, and somebody, some lucky listener is going to get to win a Bring a Trailer sticker to put on their bumper sticker or window sticker to put on their car. I have two different versions. I've got the really cool one. It looks like the beach setting, sunset. And then I have another one that is basically the conventional bring a trailer, and it looks like a trailer. And uh, so bring sits on top of the trailer, and it's kind of cool. Anyway, but the bring a trailer bunch, that was pretty cool. And like I said, there's a huge following. And maybe with luck, we can talk them into coming to one of our events here in Florida Now, on that note... Let's see. What else? Uh, Bear Jackson. I think I covered the auctions. I covered the car show. I covered the cars and coffee and you know the cruises. There's open houses there. I mean, it's really, really, really cool. So it's just a matter of going out there. You go out there once or twice. You get kind of connected. You hang out with a couple of car guys because the old cars are driving around all over the place. I mean, it's really cool. It's like they run in packs. You know, so it could be a bunch of vintage muscle cars. It could be some pre-war stuff. It could be some 50s convertibles. It could be some 70s muscle cars. It could be a ton of sports cars, some vintage race cars because there's a racetrack out there. That only is there one racetrack. There's actually three racetracks out there. So it's pretty cool. And then bikes. Bikes are everywhere. You know, vintage bikes, it's not uncommon to see those things as well. But having said that, I think uh, Tommy's going to fire up the transistor because we're going to play a little— well, why don't we play some late '80s songs music? So let's go with "Sniffing the Tears" and "Driver's Seat." Hey, you're tuning to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Don't Touch That Dial. We'll be right back with our special guest of the evening.
0: in the water as one of your skyscrapers and God himself they said couldn't sink her then in two hours she was gone and 1500 souls with her control this is deep quest at 8,000 feet negative contacts this is turtle no contacts no I think we hit the jackpot Bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. You're talking about twelve thousand five hundred feet underwater, which leaves us with only one choice. Are you talking about raising
1: the Titanic?
0: Yeah. It's the biggest job with the highest stakes anybody ever dreamt of. If there's
1: a leak, we have to stop. It. What do you mean by a leak? I don't even know what you're talking about. It was a secret. That's what I'm telling you. Nobody knew about it. This is control. 12,000 foot depth limit, no. It's a starfish, we're funny. to Over. Starfish. It's gone dead. She's going down fast, they gotta lose some weight. Uh, Release that
0: damn thing. I took this job on two conditions. One, that I handle the salvage end of it my way, and two, that you stay out of my hair.
1: You're gonna crush the deep Quest. Indicates electrical fire on the left. If we can't cut loose, that submersible.
0: We gotta bring up the Titanic. Our target date's two weeks away. Our target date just
1: got changed. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Mark.
0: This is Adam Ferrara from Top Gear, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Turn it up.
1: Okay, we're back. You are tuned into Nostalgic Green Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman has been around for a long time. He's a serious car guy. He's a fellow appraiser. He's also the reason we have the Haggerty Price Guide. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, David Kinney. Dave, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. How are you, Robert?
1: Pretty good. So, did I spook you with that uh, little movie clip that we did? Because
0: uh, no, I'm everybody. Uh, everybody loves to, to, to have somebody reference thinking
1: before they go on the air well yeah yeah but actually it was supposed to be a tower Heist and somehow the Titanic got in there so I have no idea what's <laughs> going on with the computer today but hey what the heck so uh, Dave why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself give us a little background because uh, I know you've been around this uh, hobby a little bit longer than I have so uh, give us some uh, well uh-
0: yeah, I was a car kid. Um, you know, like so many people, uh, you know, everybody else was interested in other stuff. Uh, my mom and my dad were not car people. Um, I had an uncle who was a car person, but he wasn't a very pleasant guy. Uh, so I just uh, I just kind of, you know, my, my early friends were friends and car friends. And uh, when I was a kid and I'd ask all kinds of questions and read all kinds of books and magazines, everything from cartoons to hot rods to road and track and uh when i turned 15 years old i got a job working at a uh, car dealership that was uh, uh, you know all about ferrari maserati rolls-royce and things like that and i just uh, really you know enjoyed it i was basically pushing a broom for a while but after a while they let me sell cars and uh, uh you know no one asked if i had a driver's license when i uh, got the job there so I'd drive cars around and I wasn't even 16, but uh, we won't go into any more criminal activity. <laughs> um, but, uh, but uh, you know, it was one of those things that uh, cars just kind of spoke to me. I mean, I guess some people like artwork and some people like real estate and some people like, you know, whatever their passion is, but cars have always been my passion. I've never had a time where they weren't. And uh, uh, almost every job I've had has been involving automobiles in one way or another. You could say, all of them are because I ran a parking lot company for a while, um, which was the most boring thing in the world. But it was also uh, uh, paid lots of money, but it was boring. But I was uh, at, uh, in that about 10, 12 years, and I was so bored I decided to become an appraiser because I wanted to get back in the car game. I love playing with cars. I hate selling cars. I love buying them. Uh, but I don't uh, I don't really like selling them all that much. So I thought one way to be involved in the transaction was to, uh, you know, become an appraiser. and I did that in 1990, uh, 1991. And ever since then, it's just been a, a journey ever upward. It's been a lot of fun and I get to talk to car people and go to car places and do car things and I get paid for it. Uh, what's wrong with that?
1: That's perfect. It is. Uh, I have a similar connection there. But So where did your humble beginnings begin? Now, you're up in the Washington, D.C. area, so are you from that area? Are you a native, or are you from another state?
0: Yeah, I'm actually that very rare native of uh, northern Virginia. I, I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, and now I live next door, in the county next door, in Fairfax, Virginia. So, you know, most people are very transient up here. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I, I hardly knew 20 people who'd gone through the same elementary school all the way through uh, high school uh, because so many people moved in and out. But uh, uh, you know, always enjoyed this area. It's home. Uh, you know, everybody. You know, you have to say it. Traffic absolutely sucks, but everything <laughs> else about it, everything else about it is pretty good. And now we have a car culture here. Actually, in uh, Great Falls, Virginia, we have a very famous uh, cars and coffee that happens every Saturday, uh, every Saturday of the year. Uh, you know, when the weather's cold, we don't have many people come out, but we'll have uh, you know two, three hundred, four hundred cars show up in a parking lot that holds one hundred and seventy-eight cars uh, on Saturday morning, and you know uh, people have to get there by five thirty or so to get a great space. And people come all day long uh, till about uh, nine o'clock when it uh, breaks up, or all morning long till about nine o'clock when it breaks up. But uh, we have so many cars in there, we have almost a hundred percent turnover. So. Uh, You know, people come, they stay for uh, an hour and then leave, or some come just to look at cars. So, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, all that much of a car culture in the Washington area when I was a kid, but now that's changed a lot.
1: Interesting. Now you do say, or you did say, that you travel quite a bit. Uh, Any particular venues that you like the best, or that you really like a lot?
0: I'm a big fan of Amelia Island. I like that a lot course that's all you know high-end cars uh i haven't been to radwood i really want to go you know they hold those around the country those are uh you know a, a fun event uh, about 1980s cars basically uh i have been to goodwood uh i thoroughly enjoy that that's in england uh i've been to retromobile i've been to a number of the other uh, you know international shows uh the nec uh the uh, motoring show at the nec in every october that's the uh, the one that's held in England is a big deal, um, and I do get to travel a lot because of the work that I do. Um, but I'm happy anywhere there's cars. I mean, it can be in a parking lot with two or three other people, or uh, you know, it can be a big event with uh, 10,000 cars. Uh, you know, I grew up going to Hershey when I was a kid, and uh, I still go every single year. And Carlisle and events like that—that's because I live in the Midwest. I mean, in the mid- Middle East middle Atlantic area, and I can just drive to those events.
1: (laughs) Let me ask you this. Uh, The Hagerty Price Guide, that's kind of like your baby. So when did that come about? How did you come up with that concept and idea? Because that's a very, very useful tool.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I started it in 2005, and we first published in 2006. And I started it as something called Cars That Matter. So It was kind of a passion project. Um, I wasn't liking what I was seeing in a lot of the other price guides. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where there were two or three cars that were in some price guides that I would say, you know, out loud to anybody who listens, I will buy six of them, uh, you know, at that price if you can produce them. Um, It became a very complicated project very fast. If you can imagine, there's you know, like literally a million data points that we've dealt with, uh, you know, throughout the years, probably, uh, uh, every time we republish, which we do three times a year as a book and it's available live at Hagerty.com for free, um, and under valuation tools. Um, it's a lot of work. Now there's, uh, there's, uh, 14 people on the team that are working with us. Uh, we have to adjust all the time. And after, uh, this weekend in, uh, uh, this last week in phoenix as you well know uh, a lot of cars are going to need more adjustment now so um, we keep moving them up we keep moving them down and we keep keeping them the same it's a it's an ongoing process and i thoroughly enjoy it um you learn a lot about cars you learn a lot about car people and you learn about values uh, you know when you're doing this and and it's uh it's not easy it's um uh, but it's fun
1: do you, uh, you're probably familiar with the uh, the app Hammer Time, and uh, right. and so my question is is like okay so you've got you said what 13 14 people working for you so they got to kind of scatter around now I don't I don't know if you did I know I worked for Sports Car Market for a while and I was an auction analysis reporter did you ever work for Sports Car did uh, that and as your kind of uh, process the same in other words we have people actually watch the auction sit there look at the cars inspect the cars write about the cars and then of course obviously obviously tabulate the the values is that kind of how it works
0: well that's actually i did work for sports car market for a number of years and uh, keith martin gave me my first uh, my first journalism job which led to a lot of other things and for that you know keith is the owner of sports car market i will always be grateful um Actually, what we do with Haggerty is because, uh, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, all you do is look at cars at auction, but that's not all we do. Um, We go and we condition those cars. So we have a team of people who go to all the major auctions and they scout all the auctions and they will write down, uh, you know, based on the condition ratings, whether the car is a one through a five or the occasional six that show up. And for people who don't know, a number one car is the very best car in the world. And when I mean very best, I mean on the lawn at the best concours in the world. Only, um, you know, without so much as a blade of grass in the uh, tread of the tires. Um, number two car, number three car, still a very, very good car. Even our number four car is a is a good car. It's just not a great car. It might have you know replaced seats or something like that, or you know some paintwork problems or something along that area. So. We condition all those cars before they go through the auction, and then we trace the price on them. I also, part of my job is talking to dealers and uh, finding out what's hot and what's not. Part of my job is also we analyze classified ads. Uh, Then Haggerty does have the largest database of anybody because uh, Haggerty insures the most classic cars. So we also tap into our database to find out more about what these cars are selling for. And it's really fun to track because sometimes we can track a car by serial number uh, through two or three or four owners and see exactly where they go, where they end up, and what that person does with the car. So uh, it's an interesting thing to do, but it's a you know, like I said, it's an awful lot of work uh, to you know to get out there every day and and take a look at these things and then uh, and then uh, you know evaluate them. Uh, But, you know, on the woe-as-me scale, I guess uh, (laughs) what I do is a lot more fun than what a lot of people do. So you will never find me complaining about it.
1: Okay. Um, Tell us about the when we had the symposium on Thursday morning, and I really enjoyed that with uh, you going back and forth with Colin and uh, Wayne. And who was the other gentleman there? John something from New York? No, it
0: was was, uh, Tom Papadopoulos. Tom Papadopoulos. uh, yeah, dealer in uh, yeah in the northeastern area. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and they brought up uh, this new—is it the Haggerty Drive Club or something like that? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Or
0: uh, well, there's a couple things. Um, the the Haggerty now has that—that's right—a a, Haggerty Drivers Club. Okay. Uh, you don't have to be a Haggerty insured to join. Um, you might think of it as like a AAA because there's also a. Uh, uh component you know a towing component if you break down and that includes if you break down in your 2019 whatever um they'll tow you to uh you know uh, depending on the plan that you have however uh you know however it needs to be i don't know the mileage on that but i know that i have a, a pretty big dog one on my own uh, maybe a 150 or 200 miles something like that um but also get to the Haggerty magazine get you discounts on things uh uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So that's a new and uh, something that we're doing. Then we also have something called Driveshare. Now, um, I don't, you know, I will never put one of my cars in Driveshare because I like my cars too much, but <laughs> every once in a while, <laughs> I, well, the thought of somebody I don't know driving it, it just kind of, you know, to me kind of, you know, it doesn't work. Let's just put it that way. But maybe if I had a, you know, let's say if I had an old, you know, VW thing that, you know, it was just fun to knock around with, or maybe a Bronco that had a couple of dents in it. I'd be fine with that, but that's not the type of car I own right now. So um, that is, a, uh, you can take a look and you can see with DriveShare, you can rent a classic vehicle, uh, you know, by the day. And it's uh, peer-to-peer, like a, um, uh, you know, uh, so many of these businesses, like a, an Airbnb or something like that, only for cars. Oh, okay. and i know a lot of people have had good luck with it they really enjoy it and you know people who live in a city like miami or daytona beach or something like that in florida um you know we've got a almost a 300 day 365 day a year possibility you know for somebody to come down and rent one of uh, those cars just to drive and have fun with so driver's club is the big deal um that's a lot of people and drive share is also something that uh, a lot of people i know are, are actually doing it i know uh, three people that are uh, renting cars on Driveshare and they've had great experience uh, you know, renting their own cars and then I've known two people who've rented them so far and they've had a lot of fun with it one rented a VW Beetle uh, another rented a classic Mustang and they had it for a few days and come to think of it I know a person who rented a Bronco just about uh, three months ago and had great fun with it they were uh, you know cruising around in uh, an urban area in a city and they thought what a better car to have than a Bronco because So everybody loves them, and everybody comes up and talks to you about them, and they were, you know, when they go and stop at the ice cream stand or whatever, people crowd around them, and they had a lot of fun talking Broncos. So there you go.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, speaking of Amelia Island earlier, now that I would think would be if you were in Amelia or if you were in Scottsdale or if you were in Monterey, whoever, you know, because a lot of these guys fly in from wherever, this would be a great way for them because a lot of car collectors have more than one car. So if they have some sort of a just drive share deal, that might really work out cool. Because then you're up in million Island, you get to drive around Ferdinand Beach and all around the outlying little areas. I think mean, that would be sure. kind of cool. So I, I could see I could see the marketability of that. It makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a good idea. I just, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that I could have put my car in drive share. And that's fine. I mean, I you know I might rent a car through DriveShare, but I'm not going to do it um, because I don't have the type of car that I I think that somebody would uh, um, you know enjoy enough or would understand enough to uh, uh, to do that too. So you know whatever.
1: So since we're on the subject of your cars, so what type of cars are in your little stable or portfolio? If we want to use the investment cl- investment cliche. Well.
0: Everybody uh, knows that I'm a Studebaker Avanti fan. You know, my name's Dave, and I own blank Avantis.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, you know,
0: hello, Dave. Right. Um, You're good but, friends with
1: uh, you've got to be buddy buddies with uh, then uh, Dennis Gage because he's another Studebaker guy. Although he's not a Avanti guy, but Avanti guy, but he's right. definitely yeah, Studebaker. And, he's, uh,
0: you know, and uh, Lance Lambert. Speaking of people who uh, you know have. Uh, uh, radio chops and all that out on the west coast he's uh he's got a studebaker avani as well okay. well uh, you know um it's a fun it's a fun thing because um you know i like the avanis a lot um i also have two bentley's uh from the 80s okay um i have an old volvo it's called a 123 gt it's a very rare car oh uh, it's the old amazon the amazon, oily, uh, amazon but yep. this is the rally the rally version of the amazon cool um i have a 73 cougar convertible that my mom bought new
1: oh great uh, i have parts i oh, have parts <laughs>
0: i have some too <laughs> i have a lot of uh, uh you know there's a there's a lot of different cars so i'm not a you know you can't say i'm a studebaker guy you can't say i'm a bentley guy you can't really say i'm a mercury guy because i like all cars i mean uh-huh. it's uh, you know, my, my theory is it's, uh, you know, different horses for different courses. I own a Ferrari as well, as of last year, a 612 Scalietti. And it's nice. a great car to go out and drive on a Sunday drive. But, uh, you know, sometimes you want to drive something with the top down so the Cougar, you know, fits that bill or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, different, uh, you know, different cars for different days, I guess, is the best way to put it, or different situations, if you can. Um, you know, I'm an old guy, so I've had some of these cars for an awful long time. Um, I don't really buy and sell them all that often, but after I find I'm not using them, then I'll just go ahead and you know get rid of that and maybe get something else or maybe uh, free up a little space in the garage, which is always a good idea because I keep getting more stuff in the garage for some reason. So, uh,
1: <laughs> it accumulates. Uh,
0: it certainly does.
1: All right, let's go to tell us your take on Scottsdale. No, I well, saw I, really in, uh, I saw you doing a uh, what was it, a Facebook live at bottoms Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was, a, it was a really interesting sale in that
0: uh, um, I think the cars under two hundred and fifty thousand dollars did well, and in some cases, spectacularly well. <laughs> um, I do think that uh, the expensive cars, a lot of them, suffered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, I can hear a lot of people saying, boo-hoo, uh, you know, the millionaire's cars didn't sell all that well. Well, you know, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's basically what happened. There were some cars that, um, that, that did very well, even though they are very expensive cars. I think that uh, if I had the money to buy a 289 Cobra right now, I'd go out and buy one because I think they're temporarily cheap um i don't think they're going you know when i say cheap i mean seven hundred, eight hundred thousand 800 thousand dollars <laughs> uh, you know that that's that's, o- that's only cheap when you're talking about uh, you know a, a a very wealthy person but um uh in the meantime um uh, uh, i think there's uh you know there's great buys out there on a lot of those cars and so if anybody is thinking about getting an investment group together to buy them there's a few things that uh um, would, uh, you know, would would fit that bill, 300 SLs. Um, they're a little off of their uh, price from a while ago. Even the uh, 280, 250, and 230 SLs are a little off of their price from a while ago. So, um, uh, you know, there's, there's always opportunities in the market. It depends on where you play in the marketplace. Um, but there's always great buys on great cars if you hang out long enough and and look around, uh, uh, you know, as as hard as you can to find them.
1: We've got a few minutes left. Um, this is a question I get asked a lot. Is there a difference in the value of vehicles depending on the geographic area? And let's just use the United States. I don't want to go into Europe because I know the market over there is different. But let's just say in the United States. So let's just say the Northeast, Northwest, Southeast, Southwest. What's been your experiences? And let's just say oh, well, like, I... like kind and quality cars. So just give me your take on it.
0: Okay, I think that I think that there's not an amazing amount of difference because every car is about twenty five hundred dollars away from being any place in the United States by a you know a, a reputable certified carrier. Okay, mm-hmm. so I would say that you know here's the here's the best way to answer that question. Uh, if you remember back in the day, people would not buy cars with air conditioners and you probably don't remember that but uh, you've probably had people say that well i don't use the air conditioner so why should i buy it when i'm buying my new car my argument was that even though you don't use that air conditioner um it will always make that car worth more and be more saleable so back in the day when an air conditioner was a 500 dollars option let's say in the early 70s something like that um my argument always was that even if you don't think you need the air conditioner, uh, your car will sell for five hundred dollars more uh, when it has the air conditioner in it, unless you you know drive the wheels off of it and it's a you know eight hundred dollar car, or something like that. So I would say the same thing about uh, different market areas. Um, there is a way to leverage certain cars that do well in different areas, but it's not so much that you can you know go to Miami. Um, you know, buy all the convertible Camaros you want and take them to Omaha, Nebraska and sell them. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of the times you're better off instead of thinking about, you know, that kind of arbitrage when you, when you move them from one area to another. I would think that the best thing to do would be to find a better deal on a, you know, a solid car. Um, you know, cars from Florida, a great example. Um, sometimes they have interior problems because they sat out in the sun. Uh, cars from the Midwest, they're going to have rust. Every kind of area of car has a little bit of a, you know, a kind of a built-in problem that you have to watch out for. So, um, you know, there's no, there's no huge regional difference in cars, except for I would say it's a little tougher to sell a black car in California or Florida because of the sun. Uh, but even that is being overcome by modern cars with modern air conditioning that actually keeps people cold.
1: Well, yeah, and then the other thing, and like I said, we got about a minute or so left, but one of the, qu- the other questions I get asked, well, there's a higher concentration of sports cars over here in the Northeast. There's a higher concentration of hot rods and muscle cars in Southern California. There's a higher concentration of Jaguars and Ferraris and Rolls-Royce, Corniche convertibles in Miami, you know. I mean, do you, ever, do you hear that dialogue as well?
0: Oh yeah, all the time. Um, and you know, if I was looking for a Corniche convertible, I think the target areas I would do would be you know a hundred miles from Miami and a hundred miles from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't mean those cars are necessarily cheaper there. Um, you know, with a car like that, I would much more worry about deferred maintenance um, than saving a few dollars. Uh, you know, I own a, one of my Bentleys is a Corniche Bentley. And uh, my joke with my friend is when you buy one of those, you have to pay the inevitable Corniche tax um, because a lot of the times the car's been sitting for a while and they need some hydraulic work or brake work or whatever. So uh, I would always opt to buy the best car of any type as opposed to finding a bargain anyway.
1: Okay, now we got about a minute left. What's your pick for 2019 based on oh, Scottsdale?
0: Based on Scottsdale, I would say... Once again, find the best of the best. Find something very unusual, rare, and desirable. Just because it's unusual or rare doesn't mean it's desirable. So kind of custom-bodied cars, cars with fantastic history. Like, you know, just bulletproof, you know, owned by one person who was an airline pilot who also happened to be an engineer (laughs) who took really good care of his car and kept it in the garage, or her car and kept it in the garage, that sort of thing. Great records on a car mean all the world now. It uh, didn't used to be 20 years ago. Nobody really cared about the past receipts. Now it's everything with a car. So, uh, you know, club membership is a big deal, too. If uh, if your guy's a member of Porsche Club of America and owns a Porsche, uh, you know, it gets two bonus points. But I would look out for the rare, the unusual, and the desirable, I would say, would be the thing to, to really,
1: really concentrate on. Super. Okay. And one more question. A '90s pick. If you had to pick a car out of the '90s, I was actually going to do this per decade, but uh, since we only got like uh, 40 seconds left, I figured I'd just go ask you. Pick a '90s car. What? I
0: I would. I would say Mustang, Mustang, and Mustang. Mustang, Um,
1: Mustang, and Mustang. Okay. Yeah.
0: I think there's a there's a lot of great choices on uh, you know and very affordable choices on Mustangs in the '90s. Uh, you know, this was the time of the resurgence of the Mustang, the, you know, kind of the late 80s and into the, into the 90s. And I would argue they got better and better as the 90s went along. So um, I would look for, you know, kind of uh, unusual color combinations. I would look for, you know, maybe something that was, uh, uh, you know, unusual options or something like that. But I would always look for the very, very well-kept example. So it depends on you, whether you want a convertible or a coupe, a turbocharged car, a non-turbocharged car. But there's so many choices under $10,000, and there are choices above $20,000 as well. But uh, uh, there's so many great choices for uh, Mustangs in the 90s. I think you can't go wrong. Usable car, fun car. Nobody hates you because you're driving a
1: Mustang. Super. Well, Dave, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here on Nostalgic on Cars. Do you want to give out a shout-out real quick about your website or anything like that real quick? You're welcome to do so.
0: Sure. Uh, haggertycom slash valuation tools is where we are, and uh, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate the uh, appreciate
1: the time. Super. I want to thank my special guest, Dave Kinney, Haggerty Price Guide and an appraiser out of Fairfax, Virginia, right? I'm close on that. But anyway, Dave, I will see you uh, probably at Boca or for sure at Amelia Island. And uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, take care. Be safe, careful. And take care of those Rolls Royces and Bentleys that you own. So. And I'll look care, for Robert. Thanks, that. Okay, and I'll look for those Mustangs. Anyway, hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. Tell your friends, don't forget, if you want to find out where all the car shows are, go to flacarshows.com. Yeah, Amelia Island is coming up in March. Boca Concourse is in February. 24-hour Daytona race this weekend. In the meantime, I want to see some of you guys at the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.